On the basketball court, Craig Johnson was one of the Coast Guard's stars. He averaged 19 points per game for a team that was very successful in 2005-2006, his sophomore season. He was going to be one of the top returning players in the new MAC the next year. Opposing coaches said aloud that they wished that they had Craig Johnson on their team. But off the court, Craig Johnson was dealing with something much more difficult to work through than basketball plays. So I'm gay, and being at a military academy and on varsity sports teams can be not a, was not really a safe and <laughs> welcoming place to be. Times were different in 2006. The military had a policy, don't ask, don't tell, that was in effect from 1994 to 2011. The policy prohibited discrimination and harassment by military personnel against LGBTQ service members and applicants, but it also barred LGBTQ for military service. If you so much as said you were gay or bisexual, you could be kicked out of the military. There's a lot of inner turmoil that I think I was that I was going through that made um, the experience even more difficult than it would have had to been. Craig's friends and teammates didn't know what he was going through. He couldn't tell them without fear of repercussions. That's a hard way to live. I actually just recently talked to a classmate, Bronwyn Tome, who was kicked out after she was outed as a lesbian. So on top of the, the normal stress, I think that exacerbated the challenge of maybe a little more like ready to kind of need an escape. It just seems like a very rigid path from when you start the academy at 18 to when you like retire 20 something years later. I wanted to break up that like what seemed like a very straight line to, to go down. I wanted to kind of experience something outside of life in the U.S., life in the Coast Guard. I wasn't going to quit. But the idea of just a, a reprieve to kind of go and like process everything and be away it was really appealing. Craig wanted to get away from the academy to lessen his stresses, and he found a program that he could participate in that would allow him to do that, a humanitarian mission that would send him to Honduras. I kind of vaguely remember there was a Mormon who took a two-year mission, and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of nice. And I went to my company chief and asked if you had to be Mormon, because I'm not. And he said, well, it doesn't say that in the rules. So I told him I wanted to do a go help at a church in Honduras that I had been connected to through a person that I had, a youth pastor from the church I had gone to growing up. Craig took ownership of his situation. He informed his coaches and teammates. He said he would be back. He told everyone that he wasn't quitting, that they would have him for four years, but not this one. And then he was off to Honduras. I was there for about maybe four and a half months, a three and a half month period, a three month period, and then another month period, maybe four months. I started a little like English speaking school for some of the people in the community who had wanted to learn English. That was a really rewarding experience. I think just getting to know the people and their lives and how they're just wonderful, happy, friendly people. And it definitely changed my worldview for the long run. So grateful for that. Craig's teammates knew he was struggling, even if they didn't know why. But from a basketball perspective, it was hard to accept. While I was a cadet, 
the primary reason I was there was to play basketball. I was going to figure out the rest later. And I knew that him leaving hurt my chances of having a good season. So I was personally, I felt like he was being selfish. If he was a bad player, I wouldn't have cared. All right, see you later. See you next year. But he was good, and we knew he was good, and he was leaving us. So that was frustrating. All right, whatever. And then you then you just go into survival mode. Well, I can't afford to get too emotional over this because I'm still here, and i got to survive this place. It's important to remember the context as to why Grant and others reacted that way. At the time, Grant didn't know the full story behind Craig's departure. No one knew. Welcome to Episode 4. Survive in advance. Craig or no Craig, the Bears had high expectations entering the fall of 2006. Al Sowers, Jeff Prebeck, and Grant Johnson had two years of experience starting every game. There was a promising freshman class coming, and Craig's departure opened the door for a couple of under the radar players. At forward, six foot seven, from Haskell, Texas, number 43. Ryan Burgess! I'm Ryan Burgess, and I was senior center on the Coast Guard men's basketball team. Ryan Burgess was from Haskell, Texas. Haskell is a small town three hours west of Dallas and an hour north of Abilene. Ryan lived across the street from his high school, which had 200 students. His father was a pastor. Ryan and his older brother both grew to about six foot six. I wanted to join the military, and my mom wanted me to go to college, so it was kind of a compromise. The reason I applied to the Coast Guard Academy is just because I got this packet of postcards, like 10 postcards in this clear pack. I can remember getting it out of the mailbox. Each of the cards had a different school on them, and most of them were trade schools, but one of them was the Coast Guard Academy, and it said, return this card if you'd like more information about the Coast Guard Academy. So I returned that card, and it was a very easy and quick application process, and I just ended up going to the, the Coast Guard Academy. Ryan was one of eight freshmen on the 2004 Coast Guard men's basketball team. That's the one that went 3-20. and He played 10 games that season and averaged a little more than a point per game. He played in only eight games the next season, he was too skinny for his size and got pushed around. Ryan's fellow freshman from that 3-20 and team didn't last. He was the only one to still be on the men's basketball team by his senior year, 06-07. Ryan Burgess stuck it out, just like he stuck it out freshman year at the academy. I never got homesick. I never got emotionally disturbed about anything. I was always just worried about failing. The feeling that you're... You've invested this time, and it might be for nothing. You might have to go home and say, I fell out. The fear of failure extended to the basketball court. One time my freshman year that I was late for practice, our court time had changed and I had forgotten. And when I remembered, it was too late. And I sprinted to the gym and I ran to Coach Bono and I said, Coach, I'm here and I'm late. And there was no reproach. He didn't make me run or do anything. He just said, Ryan, he could see, I guess, that I looked scared. He said, Ryan, you can be nervous over in the barracks, but when you come here, just relax. Ryan Burgess relaxed. He didn't fail, and he gained weight. He went from 185 pounds as a skinny freshman to 220 pounds as a junior, when he played a little bit more. Craig Johnson's playing time would be split several ways, 
some of that time went to Burgess, and his teammates were glad to see it. Mild-mannered, hard-dunking Ryan Burgess couldn't yell across the gym. You wouldn't hear him if he was talking from across the gym. But if you saw him coming down the lane, you would get the heck out of the way because he might dunk on you pretty bad. That was Steve Blum. We've spoken of Steve Blum twice here. Once to tell you that he threw up McDonald's on the first day of Swab Summer. The other was in Episode 2, The Rundown of the Magnificent Seven, where Coach Bono said, Good run. He could jump, but he didn't have the experience of playing. He was a major project. Steve Blum excelled academically in his first two years at Coast Guard, and he found a nice home on the track team. Sophomore year, he went to the Outdoor National Championship for Division Three. He just missed being an All-American. The only place Steve didn't excel in was basketball. And we've talked about how the Coast Guard teaches perseverance. Steve Blum was determined to be a better basketball player. That motivation came from being cut from his high school basketball team. He was being worked with all the time. And yeah, we could see him improving. Steve Blum and Craig Johnson were good friends at the academy. Blum's family helped ease Craig's transition from Oregon. Now with Craig off to Honduras, Steve Blum stood to benefit. Except that I need to explain discipline at the academy. Military academy discipline is a lot tougher than that at a civilian school. The Coast Guard Academy is strict at a level beyond what most civilians are used to dealing with. Students might spend entire days, even leading right up to basketball game time, cleaning their rooms for white glove inspection, because you could get in trouble if your room wasn't clean. If you stay out late when you're not supposed to, say to hang out with the cadet you like, that could get you restricted, basically a temporary house arrest. Getting caught with alcohol while underage was a significant offense. Other rules violations could lead to hours upon hours of marching assignments, which was particularly harsh punishment in the winter months. And there were some offenses each year that led to students getting kicked out of school. But Admiral J. Scott Burhoe tried to be encouraging in what was a challenging environment. I would stand up and, and tell cadets, you know, five or six things at the beginning of each term because I wanted them to, to hear it. And, and one of the things that I would say to them is that you won't be defined by your worst moment and, and that every, everybody has a worst moment. I, I remember, you know, I've had a couple worst moments. I remember those very vividly. And I remember either getting away with it or I remember someone providing me an opportunity to show them that there was more to me than that worst moment. I would encourage them to build up as many positive moments as they could before they had that worst moment, but that they wouldn't be defined by that. Almost every student has to deal with the disciplinary process at some point, some facing harsher punishment than others. Steve Blum had to deal with it his junior year. He doesn't want to talk about what happened, and once I heard his reasoning why, I understood. I'll explain it simply. Steve Blum got in trouble for breaking a rule, and then breaking another rule. There was no victim and no property damage. Steve had to face academy discipline and received a significant punishment. It caused him a lot of stress. But he got through that punishment, which was important because this would be a pivotal season for Steve Blum. I want to introduce a new assistant coach. 
Sam Chung was born in 1979, the same year that the Coast Guard made the NCAA tournament for the first time. I was born in New York City, and uh, shortly after that, my parents brought me to Hong Kong to live with my grandparents. I lived there five years, and then when I was five, I moved back to New York to start school. At five, eight or nine years old, moved to Connecticut. Basically, been in Connecticut ever since. Sam's family was in the Chinese restaurant business. As a kid, Sam's life was largely school, basketball, work in the restaurant. That restaurant, First Walk, was located 10 minutes from the Coast Guard Academy. Sam was a good basketball player. He was a point guard. If you underestimated him, you did so at your own peril. He would become a first-team All-State player at Waterford High School. I feel like I owe the game my life. I really do. And without it, I feel like I would be that Chinese kid in, in the restaurant, doing nothing, just waiting to be the next best Chinese restaurant owner. Sam's interest in Coast Guard was a product of proximity. Coast Guard students and teachers were regular customers at First Walk. I remember cadets going to my parents' restaurant in London, and I remember my mom saying, "Wow." Geez, look how professional and how polite they are. And, and I was like, I didn't care. I was a kid. I was just in the restaurant. <laughs> in hindsight, that probably planted the seed. Coach Barry and Coach Bono eventually came calling. Sam went with Coast Guard and was another successful product of Naval Academy Prep School. Sam Chung played four years at Coast Guard and was a 1,000 point scorer and assist leader. He served as a deck watch officer in Maine and worked at Naps. He got married and started a family. In 2006, he came back to work at the academy and joined the coaching staff. Sam was in charge of the team's offense, which he knew well from his playing days. He was also in charge of player development. Sam was known for coaching every kid, no matter how much they played. I wanted every player and member of the team to be accountable for what they say or do, even sometimes what they don't do. And something I really believe as well is that I believe the team is only as good as the weakest member of the team. You can see the whole group progressing and holding each other accountable when the players that are not playing so much are doing the right things and improving. There was a wide age gap between Coach Barry, Coach Bono, and the players on the team. Sam was younger, and he was someone that members of the team could relate to. Players get to see like what is in their future just by that coach or that young officer being available for them. Many of my conversations were just stressing the the importance of doing things right and making these things a habit. And talk about what what is more to come in their immediate futures, and what to look for in their first unit, and where they're living,、uh, and how all this basketball and athletics really, why and what are we doing it for? For them to see, okay, you know what, doing it right, doing it right when no one's watching, all that is building great habits. And yeah, we talk about it in the barracks, but actually doing it is very tough. Now let's talk about the recruiting class for the 2006-2007 year. This was a good group, given what the team already had on its roster. Red guard, 
six foot one, from Altadena, California, number 24, Ehud Eric Hudson. My name is Eric Hudson. I'm from Pasadena. I play uh, point guard and shooting guard at the Coast Guard Academy for the men's basketball team. His grandfather was a retired colonel in the Army and called me about his grandson. He wanted his grandson to go to an academy. And that's basically how it started. I just kind of did a pro-con list and Coast Guard had more pros than cons in comparison to all the other schools that I was looking at the time. Eric Hudson grew up loving the Lakers and emulating Kobe Bryant on both the offensive and defensive ends. Like Jeff Prebeck before him, Eric did a year at Naval Prep. You averaged 30 a game for them? Would that be right? That's accurate. I scored 50 one time, and I scored 40 about three times. And the team literally was went from like 15 people to six people. I was the only guard, and the only guard who had like enough skill to bring the ball up, basically. Like all our players left. It was crazy because they didn't like the coach. So I never came out the game. Everybody else did, but I never came out the game, not once. So for a whole entire season, I played every single minute. Yeah, I, I was scoring a lot. But Ehud's path to Coast Guard was not a smooth one. Unfortunately, a couple weeks before me reporting into the academy, I had, I had to go to surgery. I had appendicitis. I almost had to get deferred another year. And next thing I know, I had to get a doctor's permission from, the, from a surgeon to allow me to fly. Because I was in a wheelchair at the time because I couldn't walk. I was on, like, liquid diet. And they rolled my bags up there. We got to the academy. They held me up for my school picture, like, holding me up behind. And then I went to, I went straight to the clinic for two months. I didn't walk. I didn't run. It took Eric a while to get fully healthy. He was still dealing with the after effects of this throughout the season. But even going at the speed he went... Eric Hudson was pretty good. And he brought a little bit of like swagger that I feel like our team needed and didn't have. Right away, Coach Barry and all the players always wanted me to guard the best player on the team. Just that alone right there, that gave me confidence to know they had trust in me. He's playing against you, he's gonna get in your face, he's gonna talk a little trash and like, the rest of us are more, I would say, business-like or just a little less emotional when we play basketball. But I think our team needed a little bit of that to spark us. At guard, five foot eight, from Warner Robins, Georgia, number fifteen, Stefan Lewis. So my name is Stefan Lewis. I'm from Warner Robins, Georgia, and I was a guard and co-captain on the Coast Guard men's basketball team. I grew up in a Air Force town. My dad was in the military, so we settled in a small town in Georgia. It's a huge football town, so basketball always was the sport put on the back burner. As soon as I could walk, there were pitches with me dribbling a ball or playing basketball. But I think I, I realized that I was pretty good when I was about 12 years old. That was the first, I guess, summer that I played like AAU travel ball. And what made me realize that is playing against some future NBA players and whatnot, I, I was able to hold my own at that age. 
growing up, my brother and I, we did everything together from sports to video games to whatever. We played together, we studied together. So I, I kind of always really followed his path. That path took them both to Coast Guard Academy, with a stop along the way at another military prep school, New Mexico Military Institute. Similar to Jeff Prebeck and Eric Hudson, both Lewis brothers benefited from going the prep route, and when Stefan got to the academy, he made his own name known on the basketball court. Stefan is just like the consummate professional. Like I remember him and Al battling during practice, and Stefan was just going to be like the second guard that wasn't going to, he wasn't going to let Al walk all over him in practice, right? Like he was going to give Al a run for his money and make him work. Eric and Stefan were immediately part of the Coast Guard rotation. There was a third member of the freshman class that didn't play a lot right away, but became fast friends with both. Edgar, six foot one, from Urbana, Ohio, number 50, Aaron Jones! Aaron Jones grew up in Chicago, then moved to rural Ohio to be closer to other members of his family. Like Eric Hudson, Aaron had a grandfather in the military who wanted him to go to a service academy. He also had an uncle who went to Navy and another who went to Coast Guard Academy. Once Aaron came to the school, he met Eric and Stefan, and they immediately clicked. Trusted each other. I could definitely count on, count on those guys for anything while I was there, so I was glad I got to go through the academy with those guys the whole time. Aaron was an important player in practice for the Bears. He was skilled enough and strong enough to play any role. Aaron is one of my favorite all-time people and players. He's just a hard-nosed dude. He's willing to work. And I know he didn't get a, much, a lot of playing time on our teams, but he was a big, he was a huge part of the team. He was a great guy to, to be teammates with. He was asked to play a lot of roles. Like he's a super versatile player. Like he's big enough to play down low, get rebounds, be in the post a little bit, but he wants to be a ball handler and he wants to drive to the hoop. Practice, he'd be one of the other players from the other team. Sometimes that player would be like a big guy. Sometimes that player would be like more of a guard kind of guy. And uh, he would fit that role perfectly. Head coach Pete Barry was a huge fan of Aaron Jones. He was one of my favorites because every day he showed up. He made our players better in practice every day. The attitude of the, the supporting cast, I think, can definitely play a role. There was just tons of good, great guys with good character, funny guys, like good senses of humor, who also came hard and played in practice. And then they also supported the guys that were out there on the floor. I think they genuinely accepted their roles and supported them. And I think that probably makes it somewhat of a difference on a team, just having that energy as opposed to a negative energy where people are doubting the guys on the floor and thinking that they could do a better job. Eric, Stefan, and Aaron share another thing in common. They're black. We mentioned in episode one that the Coast Guard Academy was long segregated and didn't have a black student graduate until 1966. Even now, the Coast Guard experience for black students can be an unpleasant one for some. A June 2018 Associated Press article referenced disparities in discipline and issues of racial hostility as problems black students faced. Those issues extend into the fleet. A 2021 research study commissioned by the Coast Guard Office of Diversity and Inclusion found that the Coast Guard does not have adequate representation of black men or women. And as rank increases, 
the percentage of black men and women in that rank decreases. The Coast Guard isn't hiding from this. It knows it must do better. Eric, Stefan, and Aaron all graduated. You'll learn more about that later. Looking back to when they were freshmen, being on the basketball team was a safe space for them. Coach Barry and Coach Bono set the tone for that. They were awesome, so they treated everybody uh, equally, and I never really questioned them or doubted any of their decisions. In Episode 2, we spoke about how the older players looked out for the younger players. That extended to Eric, Stefan, and Aaron, with players like Al Sowers letting them hide out in their room and play video games. When I first met them, <laughs> I felt like they were so much like, I, I thought they were grown men already. They were like so much more mature than I was coming in. But I mean, from day one, they looked out for us. They made sure that on the court, off the court, we were taken care of. Aaron Jones had been used to being in an environment in which he stood out as different. He was one of only a couple of people of color at his high school in rural Ohio. Eric Hudson had gone to a high school that was almost all black. He noted that he had never played with this many white players before. And one thing that threw Eric for a loop was that the Coast Guard basketball team warmed up to country music. I was like, this is what we warm up to? Yeah, it was funny. And they make fun of that. And then every we started winning because we do it now. So I was like, hey, it is what it is. And that's how I learned country music to this day. People are like, Eric, how you know country songs? The dynamic within the Coast Guard basketball team at that time was such that Eric, Stefan, and Aaron were able to thrive as teammates, and they feel that the experience was mutually beneficial for them and the white players and support staff on the team. There were a lot of questions I was asked sometimes, and I think that once you get a healthy understanding of who the person is, like those things happen. And one of my good friends now, Johnny, he was like a team manager at one point in the team, like. He's one of my good friends, and a good reason why is because he asked questions, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't afraid to ask questions. I think just doing that and even simple things as listening to music or eating different kind of foods and knowing people's different kind of cultures, like just those little things and being exposed to that instead of hearing it or experiencing it for the first time, you went through it through college. So now when you graduate and you're an officer, those experiences you kind of have you have tangible experiences with that, so you could relate to the men and women who you you helping out. I think it's kind of cool to be in an environment where you have a whole bunch of people from different walks of life, from any kind of scenario, gender, race, what they believe in, language, where they live in the country, political views, all that, and you can put them into an environment and everybody kind of can march to the same beat per se. I think that's a unique thing to kind of see, right? Because there's a lot of people who are there who I don't think prior to going to the academy would think they would ever meet someone like me and vice versa. And their opinions because of their experience with me may change their opinions about other people going forward for the rest of their life. Still, having each other to lean on helped them get through. We, we definitely had to stick together just because inherently we understand some of the issues that you would have to deal with just because of your skin color. So I never personally experienced any, anything that I would say was an issue, but just having Eric and Aaron, having that trust and that bond, it, it made everything work out. Other members of the Coast Guard supporting cast included Justin Williams, Justin Fellers, 
Matt Eads, Frank Chesky, and Justin Church. We'll get to Frank Chesky in a little bit, but I want to call out Justin Church, who is both a useful player off the bench and one of the smartest students at the school. At guard, six foot one from Port Angeles, Washington, number 21, Justin Church! I played in high school, I had a great time, didn't have a phenomenal career by any means. And I basically was okay saying goodbye to basketball and realizing I need to focus on a career now, like what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So my, my focus really shifted away from basketball, but of course then it circled back. By way of my girlfriend at the time, working at a coffee shop and a Coast Guard pilot coming in and handing her a business card, like I, I like got this face-to-face meeting with a, with a Coast Guard pilot and he's like, yeah, come on down to the air station. And so I went down, met him, he showed me around, schooled me all up on what there is and what kind of offerings they have. And so from that point on, I was hooked. I saw myself, I think, as like a, in a supportive role with the team. I was following just like this phenomenal class ahead of me. I'd give it my all, and I felt like I would give those guys a run for their money in practice and, and really push them. Now we're ready to talk about the 2006-2007 season. This was going to be a different kind of season for Steve Blum than the previous two, when he rode the bench. That was evident on the very first play of the first game in a tournament at the University of Chicago. Steve had a premonition about what would happen while talking with point guard Al Sowers. Before we go to bed that night, I tell Al, first play of the game, I'm dunking it. It happened. Like, how does that happen? That, oh, it was great. While Steve was enjoying his newfound playing time, the team was figuring things out. A five-game winning streak was halted with a last-second loss to Wentworth Tech. And in a rematch with ECAC opponent Rhode Island College, the Bears blew a 19-point lead and lost. When Newmack play came around, pardon my French, but the shit got weird. The Bears played 12 league games. They lost 10 of them. And each defeat seemed more epic and disastrous than the next. You said it very well, the disasters they became. That would be the title of this chapter. The Bears blew big leads and lost. They blew little leads and lost. They missed shots at the end of games that would have won them. They got beat by last-second shots. They got beat by stars. And they got beat by subs. You name it, they lost it. The worst of the losses came at Babson College. The Bears led by eight points with just over a minute left. And then Babson hit a three-pointer. And Babson got a steal. And Babson hit another three-pointer. And Babson got a steal. And Babson hit another three-pointer. And all of a sudden, Coast Guard trailed by a point. The Bears still had time to get the last shot. And when Jeff Prebeck was fouled with one second remaining, the game was entirely in his hands as he went to the foul line. I remember that. And I don't know why. Jeff Prebeck was a really, really, really good player. He was a NUMAC Rookie of the Year as a freshman. He won with effort. No one's going to outwork me. But free throws aren't about work. 
free throws are a mental game. And the mental game gave Jeff Prebeck trouble, even in his junior year. I have a bad problem of psyching myself out and just some self-doubt started creeping in and, and it was almost like you're shooting them and you're like, man, this isn't going to go in. I just wonder like how bad I'm going to miss this. Jeff Prebeck missed the first free throw and Jeff Prebeck missed the second free throw too. The Bears lost 62-61. to 61. I remember that Bono was really... He was upset, and if there's one guy I didn't want to disappoint on that team, it was Bono. Like, I've got so much respect for that guy. And so I think that was, like, probably the thing that hurt the most. And and that's not, like, to make him feel bad by any stretch of imagination. It was just more of, like, my parents are back in Indiana. I have no family out here. So naturally, you're going to gravitate towards your coaches, and you're going to see them kind of be, like, more of a father figure and, and more of a parental role, at least for those four years that were just – kind of in, in lockdown in New London. And so, man, I just remember, yeah, he was he was fired up. And that really just, that, yeah, that sat with me. I was just like, man, I let Bono down. Man, those free throws, it wasn't like I could like out-rebound someone or it wasn't like I could just set three picks in a row and, and it was like all up to me. And it was just like, you just got to hit two free throws. When you're talking about like the two and 10 piece in that game, it's almost like you just knew it was going to happen. We had lost so many games leading up to that game to where it didn't matter like how hard you were going to play. like They were just going to beat you. And it was like you're seeing a tidal wave kind of come from shore. Man, like how are we just going to build shelter on this and just ride out the storm? And I, I don't know, man. Like I just saw that coming. Here's the bright side in all of this. The way the new Mac was structured, everyone made the playoffs. Even a 2-10 last place team that couldn't make a free throw when it counted. And the playoffs? They're a whole different ballgame. On the next episode of A Lasting Legacy. To win in the playoffs, you need your best players to come up big. And to win in the playoffs, you need some unexpected help. And I remember nudging Pete. I was like, put him in for a couple minutes. Here and there. A Lasting Legacy is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Mark Simon. Special thanks to Eric Hudson, Stefan Lewis, and Aaron Jones for their support of this project. Also, thanks to Jason Southern and Bridget Delaney, the Sports Information Directors at the Coast Guard Academy, for their help in getting interviews and in assisting with my requests for information and sound effects. Thank you for listening.